Good evening to all, and we find ourselves in Genesis 31. Matthias did an amazing job in chapter 29 and 30, so we'll definitely have to have him uh, come back soon. And of course, he, he did what I could not do, and that's teach in 30 minutes, but I'm trying. I'm still trying. Old dogs, new tricks uh, thing definitely applies here. Well, we remember in chapter 30 that Jacob did approach Laban about leaving. And uh, Laban admitted and said, hey, I'm a blessed man because God's blessing you and the blessings on you are blessing me. And I don't want to let you go because of that. And uh, he said, name your wages. And uh, in chapter 30, um, Jacob just said, well, you know, you keep the solid ones and I'll take the speckled and the spotted and the striped. And, and uh, boy, that sounded like a great deal for Laban. And, uh, but God kept blessing that which statistically wouldn't have been blessed, but God's hand blessed it. And we end that chapter by saying, in chapter 30, verse 43, thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now, this has been going on for around six years. And in chapter 31, now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons. We find out here for the first time, Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that are, is our father's. And from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. Now, this isn't true, but as you know, um, you can start wars on lies. <laughs> you can murder people uh, on their impressions of what they believe the truth is, even though they're completely wrong. But this is something deep-seated going on, and Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not a favorable countenance towards him, as before. So as the years went by, Jacob kept producing more and more and more and getting richer and richer, and Laban was getting poorer and poorer. Big part of it was how Laban handled money. Um, we're going to see down at the end of verse 15 that his two daughters point out, referring to their father, um, that he's completely consumed our money, referring to their dowries, money that should have been saved for them. Why Jacob was working for free, his wages should have been kept for a dowry for them. And they just said he's, he's wasted the money. So I don't know if he was a gambler um, or he, you know, there was a Bernie Madoff of his day and a pyramid skeet or something. I, I don't know, but he, he just didn't have the wisdom or nor God's blessing on him the way Jacob did. And, uh, and he says things are getting bad. But understand, the real issue here was envy. Jealous of what somebody else has or being blessed. I hope you're not one of those guys who sees your neighbor drive up in a new car and you go, man, I deserve that, not him. Or maybe you go to a family reunion and uh, the egghead, husband, or egghead brother is, is doing better than you, so it appears. 
and you're thinking, man, I'm the smart one of the family. I should be driving that kind of car, living in that kind of house or, or whatever. Check that envy. If there is a just a little tiny cancerous seed of that stuff, it's dangerous. Remember in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, for you are still carnal for where there is envy. Number one on the list. He also mentions strife and divisions among you. Are you not carnal behaving like mere men? This is a very serious, fleshly, human, understandable part of our sinful nature. But nevertheless, it's going to bring division and all kinds of carnal, hurtful things. In chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love in verse 4 and 5, he says, love suffers long as kind. Love, interesting, the very first thing on the list again. The love does not envy. So this love that suffers long and it is patient and in, in eternal patience, a kindness that keeps going and going. And then the, the characteristics of love, first, he's on the one side of the coin saying you won't see these negative things there. And the first negative thing that's the opposite of love is envy. And then he says, love doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. And then it says it doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. But again, envy can stir so many things up. Talking to the Christians, James in chapter 3, verse 13 to 18 says, Who was wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But listen now, verse 14. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts. There it is. First negative thing on the list, talking about wisdom from above. First Corinthians 13 is talking about love, the negative side of, of what love, envy, and now the, the wisdom that's truly from God. He says the, the opposite of that is where there is a bitter envy, a self-seeking in your hearts. Do not boast and lie against the truth. If there is a seed of that and it's growing, Confess it, admit it, don't, don't bury it and act like it's not really there when you know in the secrecy of your heart it is there. This wisdom does not descend from above. It's earthly, sensual, oh, whoa, demonic, whoa. For where, here it is again, envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and what? Every evil thing are there. So in 1 Timothy 6, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. But what often goes hand in hand with uh, the desire to get rich and, and the desire riches, it's often envy. I, it's, it's so ridiculous how these millionaires or billionaires are buying these giant yachts. They're, 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 the new fad now with billionaires is they build these things that are just massive, but they have another uglier one that's just as big for all their boats and helicopters and planes to fit in with all their extra food and wine and whatever, and the one follows the other around. Um, so, you know, if, if they pull it up and walk across and jump in their helicopter or plane. They don't want to take up the room in their other giant yacht for such things. And uh, it, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's comical how ridiculous these things 
have gotten. And uh, of course, the multiple of cars and all of these kind of things. But he says in verse 17, but the wisdom that's from above, this is John, James 3, verse 17 now, but the wisdom that's from above is first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. Here's the key, willing to yield. Full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So Jacob rightly discerned that this seed of envy that had been there maybe a few months or a few years earlier, now it has grown. But remember, they, they weren't really living that close together. We read back in chapter 30, verse 36, that Laban stayed three days' journey away from Jacob. They had two separate things, a good, good distance away. And... Um, but yet, when he, they did have those times that the, he bumped into the brother-in-laws or to the father-in-law, it was not good. Well, going back now to Genesis 31. So he says, you guys know this. And then he says in verse 33, once again, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers, to your family, and I will be with you. So typically, when God has spoken to Abraham or Isaac or now Jacob, we, we're told about it. God met him. And, and, and this is what the Lord said. But evidently, through the years, God was speaking to Jacob. He hadn't told his wives or his kids or his family. He just sort of treasured it in his heart. And that's probably why back in chapter 30, when, when Jacob says, hey, I, I need to uh, go back to my father, um, it was probably something the Lord had spoken to his heart in less of a profound way. And that's why Jake, Laban was able to talk him into staying for a while. But now it's like, hey, I, I don't care about the wealth. It, God now is telling me I, I got to go. It's not just my desire, even though it is my desire. It's a word of the Lord. And then God said those wonderful words, I will be with you. It's scary. I mean, last he knew of Esau, he wanted to kill him. Even though a little over, you know, somewhere over 20 years, um, they have not seen each other. He does not expect his brother Esau to have lessened in his anger. And then, of course, he knows Laban, how he's going to look at it. And that's a scary, you know, I'm sure that those, those kind of confrontations uh, cause your, your gut not to digest food very well. I don't know about you, when you got to confront somebody, I, I can't sleep, I can't eat, I can't, ugh. And, um, and Jacob, the idea of confronting Laban and talking to him and wrestling and his brother, you know, it just, oh, this is hard. And God says, hey, I'll be with you. I'll strengthen you. I'll take care of these things. Well, in verse four, so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock. So no listening ears anywhere. He, it's probably an unusual scene. Or, hey, I want you to go get the, my two wives there and bring them out. And I want you to leave. I want to have a, a confidential conversation with them. And he said to them, I see your father's countenance. Now, this word that we saw in the, in the two verses prior where it says this, uh, that he, it was not a favorable towards him or his countenance, the same exact words are being used. 
This is the same word back in Genesis 4, 5, when God was questioning Cain. And it says, Cain's countenance had fallen. This is after he had killed, um, or he was being tempted uh, and the, the murder that was in his heart. And God says, your countenance has fallen. So it's a very powerful word. I see your father's countenance, that it is not favorable towards me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your God. This, this term, all my might, it's a powerful term. It's talking about the straining of a man or an animal. It was a strenuous years living here. It's been brutal um, having to have your father Laban as my boss, my father-in-law, also my boss, and what he has required of me. He's going to blow his top in a minute. Jake is going to blow his top and tell him what it was like, the heat and the cold and all the unfairness that Laban required of him that, that no boss required of any other uh, servant uh, what, what he had on him was, was mere slavery. And so he's going to talk about that. But you, you know how hard I have served your father. Yeah, your father has deceived me. Now, this is probably referring back to chapter 29 uh, there on the honeymoon night. <laughs> it was uh, quite a shocker, you know, to roll over the next morning when now there's light and, and the headscarf is off and and he's, ah, you know, the ugly sister. Um, and, and then he goes out to Laban, and Laban's like, oh, I thought you knew Leah would be with you. I, when we did the wedding with Rachel, I, you know, you were marrying them both, really. But really, you know, Laban, Le, Leah's, we just assumed, what a, what a guy. And, and boy, what a great point you, you made, how uh, his eyes and his ears and the smell and all of those things, no doubt Laban uh, did to deceive him as he had deceived his father Isaac. But he's mad about it, you know. My father Isaac, you should be okay with it. But me, um, I shouldn't be okay with it. You know, it's, it's, it's been uh, over 20 years, but I'm, you, you know how horrible that was. Of course, Leah's going, it wasn't that bad, was it? But yep. And then after that, you know, you know how he's changed my wages 10 times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. So Laban keeps saying, yeah, I'm going to pay you this and doesn't. I'm going to do this for you, but next year. And he never has been fair all along the way. And in verse 8, if he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks were speckled. <laughs> and if he said thus, the streaked flocks shall be your wages, then all the flocks were streaked. And God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at that time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and I saw in a dream. Behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked and speckled and gray spotted. And the angel or the messenger, the ambassador of God, spoke to me in a dream, was Jesus, we know, saying, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leaped on the flocks are streaked and speckled and gray spotted. For all I have seen, all that Laban is doing to you. So God came to him and spoke to him and said, take notice. Look, at the, look which ones are the strongest of the animals 
it's not as it normally is, the more solid ones, the more desirable solid ones, but it's all of these other ones. Those are the ones that you need to take note of and pick. So back in the last chapter, and he's putting all these poles here and there, and nobody knows what that means. And I wonder if it really had no, no difference at all. But now we're finding out here the reason that when Laban said, hey, tell me what your wages are, he, he remembered that dream. And he's like, okay, yeah, let me, let me have the off-color, less expensive ones from the, the animals, and you can have the, the better, more expensive ones. That, that's the way we'll sort them out. But the reason was because God had told him that in a dream. At least J- Jacob's telling us that's what happened. We don't even know, right? I mean, J- Jacob could be deceiving us, saying he had a dream, to, to embolden his argument to persuade his wives to go along with the, the next scheme, which is fleeing without telling Laban. So we assume that, that this is true, although we don't know because it's Jacob speaking. But in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, woe, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise and get out of this land and return to the land of your family. You guys remember that back in chapter 28? Verse 20 to 22 is where Jacob, after he heard all the things God said, he goes, okay, if this is what you're saying, just like Abraham and Isaac, now I'm the third guy, Jacob, uh, I'm going to be blessed. And he said, Jacob made a vow saying, if, or it can also be since, God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give the bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my um, father's house in peace then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So this is the God of Bethel, the same God that spoke to you in that powerful uh, dream of the ladder and the angels going up and down on it and so forth, which really was a prophecy of Jesus, according to Jesus, uh, in the Gospel of John 1. And, And so he said, this is me. I'm that same God speaking to you. Now get up and go. So he, he is asking his advice for Rachel and Leah, but I think he's also saying that we, we all need to be together on this. So what's your wisdom? What's your take? What, what do you guys think? But also, we, we gotta, the three of us have to be in agreement, right? Um, and and we, we have to be on the same page if we're going to pull this off. So it was really unknown uh, at this point by Jacob what they were thinking. And so Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there, any, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and almost completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father and is, that are really ours and our children's, now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. So the way they observed it was not just God blessing Jacob more than Laban, but God not blessing Laban because he spent their dowries and in essence, God blessing Jacob for him to be able to have a lot of extra money for a dowry for them. So that was interesting from their point of view, how they viewed Jacob's success, which was really their success, getting a dowry that their dad had spent. 
as well, which might have some truth in that as well, but that's how they viewed it. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on the camels. So uh, there was a lot. He had a lot of stuff. At this time, he has 11 children, remember? Only one of the kids will be born actually in the promised land, and that's Benjamin. All the rest of them were actually born where Abraham was born, in that Ur of the Chaldees or in Haran. We're not sure exactly where that is in, in, in preference to Ur of Chaldees, but somewhere in that area in northern Iraq. And, um, and so these, all, these guys were all born outside the promised land. And, um, and so he carried all these possessions which he had gained, and he acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Haram, and to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were in her father's that were her fathers. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban, the Syrian. We, we talked about that earlier when that came up, remember, uh, referring even to his father, Bethuel, was a Syrian, which also can be easily the same translated as Araman, A-R-A-M-E-A-N. Um, but it's interesting because Later on in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 5, Jacob is called a Syrian or an Arab man. So I, I do believe that the roots of those, the family of Abraham, had Aramean roots in it as well. Um, but either way, this is, this is how they, they looked at him. And, um, and that he, and so Jacob stole away, unknown to Jacob, Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed towards the mountains of Gilead. <clears throat> now, when they sheared the sheep, it was a party. It was basically a big party. They had music. Everybody came. They had dancing. It went on for days. <clears throat> this is one of the big feasts every year. And so... All the family had left because Laban was three days' journey away. We know that from chapter 9, verse 36. <coughs> Excuse me there. And uh, he put these three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And so they were three days away. Everybody went. The house was empty. So this was the advantage to move out, which would have been something that people would have noticed. And then on top of that, um, to have several days head start would be also very helpful. In verse 21, so he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river, that is the Euphrates River, and headed towards the mountains of Gilead. Now you'll notice I gave you a map of Gilead, or of Israel. And just look west of the Sea of Galilee, and you'll see the mountains of Gilead, which David so beautifully talks about as well. Beautiful mountains, they really are. Um, the Golan Heights and, and all of that, beautiful snows. And um, yeah, just absolutely breathtaking uh, mountain range there. So he's, he's headed out into the mountains uh, and, and he's thinking that he's going to be able to um, get somewhere where Laban can't find him. And in verse 22, 
And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. So let's do the math. They were already three days away. Now three days gone. See, six days ahead and moving. So six days ahead and quickly, seven days ahead, eight days ahead. He's getting more and more a distance from Laban. But then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven day journey and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. Although they found Jacob, it doesn't appear that they immediately approached Jacob. Instead, they made a tent. They pitched their tents and waited for the right time to talk to Jacob. So notice in verse 25, or excuse me, in verse 24, but God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. This is a Jewish expression that basically says, leave it alone. But it's interesting because he's not defending Jacob. He's not saying, my Jacob, my innocent isn't a boy, and you were all wrong, and he's all right. He's not, because, I mean, Jacob's not. Jacob is, is, is a con artist, just like Laban is. He, he's a sly guy. And no doubt there's been a number of times where his brother-in-laws were on the rear end of a deal that Jacob came up with. So he, he's not saying you're bad and, he, and Jacob is innocent. He, he's looking at both of these guys going, you're both scoundrels. Um, and so you scoundrel, don't mess with the other scoundrel. Just leave him away. I, I'm not saying you have to bless him. I'm not saying you have to say it's good. It's not. But at the same time, I am not going to let you hurt him just so you know. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains. This is the first time in the Bible where it says that Jacob had pitched his own tent. So Jacob is thinking, we we were up in these mountains. We got a good distance away. I think we can quit running and let's go ahead and and take a break. It was grueling, 300 miles from Iraq um, to to Gilead here. And that would have been an incredible difficult track with all those little kids and all those animals and all those servants. And then to think you could hide your trail um, from experienced guys, I, I think it was a, a little far-reaching for Jacob to think they wouldn't be able to figure out where he was. It was probably a massive party moving. And so he says, hey, I think we're, I think we're good, guys. Let's go ahead and pitch our tents here. And Laban, his brethren, pitched the, in, the, in the same mountains there of Gilead. So I think Laban probably caught up with him, maybe in the evening time or something, and said, guys, we're not going to do anything tonight. I do have my kids and grandkids. I don't want anybody getting hurt. We're going to wait till tomorrow. We're going to get a good night's sleep. They've been going for seven days straight. I'm sure they were exhausted. And after we get a good night's sleep, we're going to go and confront this situation. So in verse 26, and Laban um, said to Jacob, what have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? So he's pretty sure that, that nobody was on board with this, that um, Jacob was having to force everybody. They all want to stay home. They want to stay back in, uh, they want to stay back in Naor or um Haran, but he's like, no, that, that's not the case. But that's what Laban's thinking in his mind 
that this is Jacob forcing his will on his daughters and everybody else. Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with tremble and harp. Right. Yeah, we wouldn't have a big party. Uh, you know, a going away party. It would have been lovely. You missed it. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters, his grandkids, basically. So I, I do have to agree with Laban here. I, I think I would want to kill my son-in-law if uh, he stole away with my grandkids too. Kids, no big. Grandkids, now, now we're, those are fighting words. But he says, you have done foolishly in so doing. Now you can look it up. It says this several time, more times in the Bible. You've done foolishly. But it always implies you've sinned. So, for example, in 1 Samuel 13, in verse 13, when, remember, Saul offered a sacrifice that only priests were to do, and Samuel showed up, and he said, you've done foolishly by doing this. Your kingdom would have been established forever, but now it's being taken away and given to another. Also, David, remember when he counted the armies and the plague came on Israel? Well, David, in his repentance, in 2 Samuel 24, 10 said, I have done foolishly in sinning against you. And then later, Asa, one of the great verses in the Bible, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. Don't you know the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the earth to find, him, to find somebody whose heart is loyal to, towards him that he could strengthen him? But you've done foolishly in this is the way it ends. God says to Asa, because instead of seeking the Lord for the healing in his feet, he wouldn't seek the Lord. And he only seek physicians, and he'd end up dying from that disease in his feet. And there's other times, too, where um, people are calling other people and calling themselves uh, foolish. But each time, it's inferring that there's sin involved here. So in other words, not just you were foolish by staying up too late and you, couldn't, you were all tired the next day at work. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. This is saying you have sinned against me. This is the implication Laban is given, calling Jacob the sinner. You know what? As we finish up this chapter here tonight, you're going to discover that you will be wrong. I'm sure this has happened to many of you already. And in your mind, they are the sinner. (laughs) And you're the non-sinner. But in time, God will reveal to you, you are both sinners. And I can't repent for their sin, but I can repent for my sin. But typically, when people are judging another man, they're wrong. That's what Romans 2 says, right? You're judging because you're doing the same thing. The reason you have a condemnation towards that person and what they're doing, not because God has a condemnation towards that person and what they're doing, but because you're doing, it's the same sin in your own heart. That's how you know they're doing it, because you're doing it. And on top of that, your your own heart, your own conscience is condemning you, causing you to condemn others for the same sin that you're doing. So, you know, I was just talking to a brother yesterday, and that was was the very thing, you know, saying to him, let it go. What, What people have done to hurt you, truly turn the page and move on. And as it comes out in your heart, in your mind, every time, have no condemnation, no judgment 
only forgiveness. And, uh, and trust in God. Just say, God, I, I laid at your feet. You, you do what you need to do to your children, right? I mean, if you, you've, if you raise children, you know they've come and said, Mom, he needs a spanking. Here's the belt. Here's the paddle. I was going to do it. It's like, well, oh, I'm three years older, you know. I'm eight. He's five. I, you know, he, yeah, I started, but I, I thought, yeah, I'll give it to you and let you do it, Dad. And uh, it's like, yeah, that was smart. Had you hit him with the belt, you would not have been disciplining him, but you'd be getting disciplined yourself for hitting them. It wouldn't have been disciplined. In the same way, we, we can't discipline somebody else's child. We got to let God discipline them. Well, in verse 29, it is in my power to you to harm you. <laughs> so now we really know what's in his heart, don't we? But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my God? So I, I, I know why you did it because you're, you're just, oh, you so much want to see your dad. And you know what? It's good to honor your dad. So I, I can forgive you for all this because I know you had this overwhelming desire even over six years ago when you first mentioned it to me, so I know it's been festering there all this time, and, and that's a good thing. So, you know, I can, a man can forgive another man for wanting to go see his aged dad, but as far as you doing it secretly, and, 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 and then on top of that, you steal my gods. Whoa, I don't think Jacob is expecting to hear that. He was quite shocked by this. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, well, because I was afraid, uh-oh, for I said perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. So <clears throat> when I thought of having that conversation with Laban, all I could think of is waking up the next morning with your older daughter. <laughs> and this time, I, I think I might not have woken up alive. That, that's my issue. I just don't think there would have been a, a good ending to the story, if you were a part of us leaving, I just don't think it would have happened. I don't think my I think my life would have been in jeopardy. I, I just think that you never would let your daughters and grandkids go away. So, even though this is all true, it's Jacob in his own strength trying to counter somebody else. Isn't this what happened with Isaac and Esau? And his mim and his mother, oh, I know dad's wrong. I know Esau's wrong. I know God says that I, you know, so therefore we're going to do this little deceitful thing. And so Jacob never really got to see what God would have done in stopping Isaac from blessing Esau. And, and God still giving the blessing from Isaac to Jacob without them doing all of this deceitful stuff. In the same way here, he says, I was afraid, and, and therefore I worked out this scheme. I talked to the daughters on the field. Nobody could hear us. We figured it all out. We told everybody that night, get up, get your stuff together. Oh, you know, we're, we're, we're out of here, you know, and they quickly got it all together and, and took off as fast as they could. It, it wasn't honorable. It wasn't necessary. Psalms 118.6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me? There's the answer right there. What can man do to me? God's with me. Proverbs 29, 25. 
The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So fearing man won't make you safe, but trusting in the Lord will make you safe. And so his reasoning wasn't really adequate, but in his mind, all he had was his own human ability and, and to lean on his own understanding rather than to look to God and ask God direction and more specifically how he could leave without doing it this way. Well, in verse 32, with whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. Oh, ho, ho. So Jacob really, really believed that nobody in his party, including his wives, would have taken his idols. He really believes, like, there's no way you're making this up, Laban. Whoever you find with the idols, you can kill him. Now, in the Jewish writings, the, the, the rabbis' writings of Israel, they actually teach this is why Rachel died young right after giving birth to Benjamin. Because this curse of Jacob had fallen upon her, and that's why she died at a young age. I don't know about that. But it's interesting that he says he cursed him basically to death. Well, in the presence of your brethren, identify what of, of yours is taken with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And I think he was very surprised that she would have. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents, and he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now, Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, set on them. Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let me not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of woman is with me. No shame, no depths of her deceptiveness. And he searched, but he did not find the household idol. So, you know, if there's something that's going to creep a dad out, that's it. You know, uh, I want to check uh, under you. Oh, no, you know, I'm on my period. Oh, okay, stay away, stay away. Um, so she was very clever. So Jacob now was angry, and we're gonna, he's going to get the full brunt of what he thinks about all this past years. Uh, 20 years of frustration comes pouring out. He rebuked Laban, and Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, and what part of your household things have you found? Is it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both? These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats, and not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock, which would have been a right if he was out and needed meat. But he, he didn't use that right. And that which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. So this is completely unreasonable. If a bear or a lion had killed a lamb, they just need to bring whatever's left over, and they would show it to the owner, and the owner wouldn't deduct it from their wages. But not with Jacob. Jacob, he's like, hey, you're accountable for every one of them, no matter what the situation. And he says that's completely unheard of and unreasonable. Therefore I was in the day of drought consumed me and the frost by night and my sheep departed from my eyes. 
Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served your 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you have charged my wages 10, changed my wages 10 times. Unless God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Woo, hot under the collar there. But he says, man, I was in the heat by day. You didn't give me a break. You didn't let me um, do something to, to keep that kind of heat on me. At night, I had to sleep out with the, sh- the sheep and stuff, even as I got older. I mean, if you do the math, he's in his 90s right now at this point. And I was freezing, and, and this went on uh, for over 20 years. You, you treated me like this, worse than any employee and in verse 43, and Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. These children, looking at his grandchildren, are my children. And these flocks is my flock and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day? These are my daughters and their children whom you have born. So now Laban is spewing from the recesses of his heart. All this is mine. All this wealth that you're looking at, it's really mine. All these kids, these daughters, these grandkids, everything is mine and you're stealing it away. That's the way the truth of it is. And if God didn't speak to me last night, that's was, I was coming with force and I was coming to harm you and take all that's mine back. That's really what he was going to do. Now, therefore, come, let us make a covenant. So you got it off your chest. I got it off my chest. And now he's like, somebody's got to, uh, give in first and say, uncle, so it's going to be me. So I, okay, we, we both have said our peace. So let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took the stones and made a heap and they ate there on the heap. Laban called it Jegar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Jalid. So he was speaking the, the language of Mesopotamia, Laban was, and um, the Aramaic of that day, I guess. And then Galid is Hebrew. It means the same thing, though, uh, the, the heap of witness. These stones are a witness of, of what's the covenant we're making here. So Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid. Also, it was called Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between me, between you and me, when we are absent one from another. Now, this is quite interesting, because this was actually a threat. <laughs> He's going to tell him right after this, if you do anything to my daughters, verse 50, if you afflict my daughters, or if you have take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, God is my witness between you and me. And Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap and here is this pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass before this heap to you and you will not pass before this heap and these pillars to me for harm. And the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor and the God of uh, their father judged between us, and Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, or in honor to his father. And Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountains. This is interesting. 
And he called his brethren to eat the bread, and they ate bread, and they stayed all night on the, on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons and daughters, and blessed them. Didn't say he kissed Jacob. Um, and Laban departed and returned to his place. And that's the last time we ever hear of Laban in the Bible. But going back to verse 49, this mitzvah. Have you heard of the mitzvah blessing? Sometimes people exchange rings. Sometimes it's necklaces. And, it's, and often it'll say right on there, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. That's beautiful, isn't it? I, th- I think it's one of those verses where we see God turning all things around for good. Because it really is a beautiful blessing in the midst of a very heated moment. And of course, it wasn't really saying, God bless you and God bless me. I can't wait till we get together and hug and kiss and see each other again, you know. Uh, that's not the warm and oozy feeling that, that they do with the mitzvah rings or necklaces or, or uh, maybe you have a plaque at home. So don't throw it away. It's, it's a beautiful blessing. He didn't intend it that way, but God made it that way, right? And so it's a beautiful mitzvah blessing. And uh, what a great word. May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. Well, we see Jacob get out jacob by Laban. But before God can really begin to mature Jacob in spiritual things, these Jacob ways, these Jacob characteristics, these character flaws of Jacob have to end. And the way the Lord's going to do it in this next week is beautiful and powerful. But he actually has to weaken Jacob in the outer man. So he is stronger in the spiritual man, the inner man. And we are going to see the Lord very personally wrestle that out of Jacob's life. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. And as we meditate on these things, we ask that you just continue to put them deeper and deeper into our hearts. In Jesus' precious name.